This morning, as we continue on in the book of Hebrews, we're going to be looking at Hebrews chapter 3, verse 7, down to the end of chapter 4, verse 13. Now, there's a lot uh, that could be said about uh, the verses in this section. My hope is that we'll be able to see the argument that the author makes, so we're going to try to chart out uh, his thinking, how he applies Psalm 95 uh, in his day, and how it applies to our day uh, today. It's one sort of extended argument, and so uh, pay careful attention uh, as we go through it, as we read this text, and uh, the Holy Spirit, even as we read it, can show us sort of the contour of the author's thought. So Hebrews 3, 7, down to the end of chapter 4, verse 13, this is the Word of God. So, as the Holy Spirit says, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion during the time of testing in the wilderness, where your ancestors tested and tried me, though for 40 years they saw what I did. That is why I was angry with that generation. I said, their hearts are always going astray and they have not known my ways. So I declared on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. But encourage one another daily, as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. We have come to share in Christ if, indeed, we hold our original conviction firmly to the very end. As has just been said, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion. Who were they who heard and rebelled? Were they not all those Moses led out of Egypt? And with whom was he angry for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies perished in the wilderness? And to whom did God swear that they would never enter his rest, if not to those who disobeyed? So we see that they were not able to enter because of their unbelief. Therefore, since the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it. For we also have had the good news proclaimed to us, just as they did. But the message they heard was of no value to them because they did not share the faith of those who obeyed. Now we who have believed enter that rest just as God has said. So I declared on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. And yet his works have been finished since the creation of the world. For somewhere he has spoken about the seventh day in these words. On the seventh day, God rested from all his works. And again, in the passage above, he says, they shall never enter my rest. Therefore, since it still remains for some to enter that rest, and since those who formerly had the good news proclaimed to them did not go in because of their disobedience, God again set a certain day, calling it today. This he did when a long time later he spoke through David, as in the passage already quoted, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For, if Joshua had given them rest, 
God would not have spoken later about another day. There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from their works just as God did from his. Let us, therefore, make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will perish by following their example of disobedience. For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Before we uh, look at this section together, let's pray. Father, we read here of those who harden their heart and resist you, and we read of those who combine hearing by faith and through obedience enter into the rest that you provide. Pray, Father, that if there are any here who have hard and unbelieving hearts, that your Holy Spirit will work in their lives to soften their heart, give them a heart which, which responds to you in beauty and in holiness and in truth and in love. And Father, for those here who have a heart that loves you, help them to love you more. Help us to appreciate the rest that you provide. Help us to understand what it is. Help us today, as long as it is called today, to make sure that we are making every effort to truly enter into the rest that you provide through Jesus Christ. Thank you that Christ is the fulfillment of these things. Thank you that through the Holy Spirit we can know you. Thank you that you bless us, and the greatest blessing of all is in knowing you as the living God through Jesus Christ, knowing the forgiveness of sins through his atoning sacrifice. Lord, this morning, by your Spirit, open your word to us and help us to find rest, for we ask it in Jesus' name, amen. Now, this text, I'm sure you noticed, uh, quotes Psalm 95 uh, a fair bit. We read Psalm 95 uh, at the start of the service uh, this morning, so I won't read it again. Uh, but the author of Hebrews is drawing from Psalm 95 out of intertextuality. He's building his argument for entering into the rest of God on the basis of what God has already revealed historically and what he has already done in the past and currently in their day with, through the fulfillment that had come through Jesus Christ. So one of the things that is essential Uh, to understand is that in their day, when they're thinking about rest, 
they're not thinking about the sort of uh, picture of rest that we may have sort of in the 21st century uh, here in Canada. Uh, they're not thinking about just sort of peace of mind or just relaxing on the end of a dock, you know, watching the sunrise with a cup of coffee uh, or, or something along those lines. It's not just, you know, psychological, it's not merely emotional, it's actually an objective state. That is, it is a place where you can enter and live regardless of how you feel, regardless of your circumstances. So you can be in a place of absolute chaos or turmoil or uncertainty or pain and still be experiencing biblical rest. And that's something which is very life-giving to understand. God offers you something that's a lot richer and deeper than peace of mind. He offers you something that's a lot richer and deeper than tranquility. Uh, tranquility today really can be prescribed and come in a pill bottle. But God gives you something much deeper than that. God gives you rest even when you're weary. Uh, Even when you feel broken, you can know that you are living in a state of objective rest because of what God has done for you and what he provides for you. Now, We'll cash that out as we go. What what is this rest? Well, the first thing is you're basically told that rest is something that the wilderness generation did not enter into. They had the opportunity to enter into rest, but they were not able to because of their disbelief in God. So verse 7 starts, so, as the Holy Spirit says. So is a connecting word, which connects you to the argument in verses 1 through 6 of chapter 3 particularly verse 6, you need to hold firmly to the end the confidence you had at first. Hold firmly to it. So, as you're supposed to be holding firmly to what God has done, the contrast is given that there are some people who had experienced some phenomenal works of God who ended up turning away from him and did not combine their experience with faith. So, hold on firmly, verse 6, Don't be like the wilderness generation, verses 7 through 11, quoting Psalm 95. The biggest thing is this. The author is looking back into the past at this point and anchoring a lesson for us today. That's why the word today comes up again and again and again and again in this text. Not only Psalm 95, but how the author of Hebrews uh, discusses this this situation as well. Look into the past and apply the lesson for today. Today, if you hear his voice, it's an ongoing experience. The word of God continues to speak. The spirit of God continues to speak, applying his word to his people. So if you hear his voice, you have a choice. You can hold firmly to the confidence you've had from the beginning, or you can harden your heart and reject the word. Those are the options. And if some people have, or different people take different steps here, they make different decisions. In fact, the whole wilderness generation was a generation that hardened their hearts and rejected what God offered them. They had all, you will recall, of course, experienced redemption and deliverance. That is, the reason they're in the wilderness is precisely because God had brought them out of Egypt in slavery. 
And so they're in the wilderness because they've experienced Passover. They experienced the plagues that God had brought on Egypt. They had seen that. They saw the pillar of cloud, the pillar of fire. They saw the destruction, miraculously, of of Pharaoh's army. They knew that they were only liberated because of the power of God. And then God called them to trust him. They didn't. And so he, he, he gave them food. He gave them manna. He, he took care of them. He provided them with water in the desert. Still, they wouldn't believe. They rebelled and hardened their hearts. And so God was angry, the text says. In fact, it's a very strong word. He was greatly provoked. He was incensed with them. Even though they saw God's ways, they didn't know God's ways. They didn't understand them. They didn't understand God. And what they didn't understand is that God had a rest prepared for them. He had prepared something beautiful for them to enter into. Because they wouldn't trust him, they pulled back. And they refused to go into what he had prepared for them. Which, of course, in this day, in the day of Moses, was the promised land. They were to go into the land flowing with milk and honey. They were to go into Canaan, and there they would have rest. In fact, in Joshua, again and again and again, you're told different times, you know, the land had rest from war. So entering into Canaan and then establishing peace was the rest that God had prepared for these people. Now, that's important, and hang on to it, because later on, in chapter 4, you're going to find out that that rest of Canaan, as real as it was, You can imagine the type of rest you'd experience coming out of slavery and then into a place which was your home. Coming out of the brutality of the circumstances of Egypt through the liberation provided by God and then coming into a land that's fruitful and flowing with milk and honey, that would be rest. That'd be rest for your soul. Be rest for your heart. Be rest for your mind. Be rest for your body. It'd be all the rest you could dream of in this world. But as great as that rest in Canaan would have been, it was only a symbol pointing forward to an even greater rest that God was preparing for his people through Jesus Christ. We'll see that in due course. So they came out of Egypt. They were about to enter into Canaan where they could have had rest in real terms, but also a symbolic down payment of the rest to come. And they rejected it. They weren't able to enter into it because of their unbelief. So, first lesson the author draws is this, verse 12. Make sure you're not like that. Make sure that that's not you. Make sure that what they did is not representative of your state when it comes to God. It's very simple. It's a very clear lesson. Look, it is possible to experience and see God do great things and not to trust him. It is entirely possible to hear about the great plan of salvation that God has and to reject it. That's entirely possible to do. Make sure that you don't, is what the author is saying. Very simple. Make sure none of you, brothers and sisters, has an unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. He is the God who is real. He is the God who is interested and alive and active. He's the God that you have to deal with. Do not turn away from him. But 
contrast. Rather than turning away from him, encourage each other to go to him. Encourage one another daily as long as it is called today. And, and, and the author, of course, is is basking in cleverness because every day is called today, right? And so you're to be encouraging one another not to turn from God, but to go to God. As long as today is called today, that's what you ought to do so that you're not hardened by sin's deceitfulness. Sin is very tricky. It's very subtle. And so you need to watch for it. You need to be careful. You need to help one another. We have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original conviction firmly to the end, not just out of Egypt, but all the way through the years in the wilderness until the promised land you don't let go. All the way. The original conviction. Hold it firmly to the end. As has been said, today if you hear his voice, not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion. And then this series of very pointed rhetorical questions. Who were they? Who are these people? Well, these people are the ones who Moses led out of Egypt, for goodness sake. I mean, you think if anyone had a salvation historical advantage, it would have been these people who saw these things. I'm not sure if you ever think this way, but but sometimes it just seems to me like it would just be so obvious that all it would take is one miracle, and you'd never doubt God again, ever. Like, like God just, just, you're, you're, you're out for a stroll, and there's a body of water in front of you, you say, God, you know what, I really don't, I'm not wearing my creek shoes right now, I really don't want to get these shoes wet, can you just part the seas, and God does, and you walk through on dry land, and then the river closes, you go, I would never doubt God again. You just, how could you if you saw something like that? And yet, these people saw miracle after miracle after miracle after miracle, and they didn't believe. The reality is, sometimes even today, people say, well, if I just saw God do X, then I'd believe. That's always nonsense, because it's not true. God knows perfectly well that people see what they want to see. And even if you can't deny that God has acted, it doesn't mean that you'll love Him. Satan doesn't deny that God has acted. So evidence and calling God to sort of jump, when you say jump, and to jump as high as you say to prove, to satisfy your standards of evidence, is actually a complete misunderstanding of your own psychology and heart. They saw all these things. They're the same ones whose bodies perished in the wilderness. They're the same ones God swore would never enter His rest. God brought them out of Egypt and then swore they wouldn't see the consummation of rest because of their rebellion against him. They were not able to enter because of their unbelief. Now, that's the history. Chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, since the promise of entering his rest still stands. say, wait a minute. How do you get that out of Psalm 95? Therefore, the promise of entering his rest still stands. We'll get to that in a moment. Let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it. Again, the warning again. Make sure you're not like this. Don't harden your heart. Don't fall short. We've also had the good news proclaimed to us, just as they did. That is, they had the message of redemption and liberation proclaimed to them. We've heard it too. But the message they heard was of no value to them because they did not share the faith of those who obeyed. Now, this is something which 
gives me a slight bit of confidence in terms of preaching and teaching ministry just every once in a while. And it's this. You very frequently, I am, I am aware of this, I am sensitive to this, and I'm apologetic for it, but very frequently you are subjected to sermons that aren't that good. I know. But sometimes you can leave and you can say, I didn't get anything out of that message. Well, I, just didn't, I didn't like how he developed that point. I didn't like this. I didn't like that. And you know what? And you're probably right. In fact, if you want to get together, I'm not sure what you do on Sunday afternoons or, or Monday mornings. If you want to criticize the message, come to my office tomorrow and I can show you all the things you missed. Like, really. I mean, it's, it's not that hard. Uh, and, and so you can leave and go, well, that just, you know, that wasn't that good and all the rest. But you know what this text says? This text says that sometimes if you leave after hearing the word of God and didn't do anything for you, it was your fault. Because God said these things. And it was of no value to them. Well, because God's not a good preacher? Because he wasn't clear? He didn't develop his point properly? He didn't share your theological scheme? Probably not. Sometimes it's the problem's inside. Sometimes the problem is us, not the person who's speaking. Sometimes it's that. Sometimes, let's be honest, most of the times it's probably both but we have to check our own heart. Why wasn't the message of any value? Because they didn't believe. They chose to reject the Word of God. That's why it didn't benefit them at all. They didn't share the faith of those who obeyed. Now, we who have believed enter that rest. You stop, because that's an arresting statement. Wait a minute. We who have believed enter that rest. Well, what on earth rest are we talking about now? Therefore, I declare an oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. That was Canaan. That was the promised land. But now we're told, past tense, that if we believe, we've entered that rest. But we haven't entered Canaan. So, so, so what are we talking about here? We, we've shifted now from the immediate referent in Psalm 95, looking back, which was moving through the wilderness into the promised land, somehow, even though we're not in the promised land, we've experienced the rest that the promised land was symbolic of. In other words, we've entered into the very heart of the rest that God was always talking about, no matter what our geographical location is. It doesn't matter where we live. It doesn't matter if we've never even set foot in the promised land. The rest that God provided for his people who obeyed is something we've already entered into if we have faith in God. It's a current reality for us. We who believe enter that rest. Just as God said, I declare an oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. That is, those who disobey don't enter the rest, but those who obey do. And yet, puzzlingly, his works have been finished since the creation of the world. For somewhere he has spoken about the seventh day in these words. On the seventh day, God rested from all his works. And again in the passage above, he says, they shall never enter my rest. Therefore, since it still remains for some to enter that rest, and since those who formerly had the good news proclaimed to them did not go in because of their disobedience, God again set a certain day, calling it today. 
This he did when a long time later he spoke through David, as in the passage already quoted, Today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken later about another day. The author is, all the author is doing here is just paying attention to chronology. That's all he's doing. Psalm 95 is written long after Joshua brought the people into the promised land in Canaan. David is writing. He's king. He's in Canaan. Now, Israel. They've taken over the land. And David is saying, as he sits in the promised land, today, you have the opportunity to enter his rest or to reject it. And he's talking to people who are all in Canaan. And so, rest cannot possibly be exhausted by being in the promised land. If Joshua had given them rest, God wouldn't have had to say, look, today you can enter that rest because you'd already have been in it. That is, Joshua brought the children of Israel into the promised land. They're already there. And he's saying, listen, today, as you sit in this land, you can enter the rest. Which means it couldn't have been Canaan. It couldn't have been exhausted by Canaan. Canaan was a picture of rest. Yes, it was a place of rest, but it didn't exhaust all that God had for his people. Rest was more, not less, than Canaan. Which is why the people who were there could still be told to enter into the rest of God. And that rest was the same rest that was exemplified by the seventh day in creation, where God ceased from his works. And so now what you have is sort of this collocation where you have rest is entering into the cessation of work and the seventh and entering into the seventh day of crea- of the creation week plus whatever it is that the promised land symbolizes those two things are part of the richness of the rest that God has for us if Joshua had exhausted rest God wouldn't have spoken later about another day called today when you could enter into more rest The conclusion, verse 9, is this. There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. There still is a Sabbath rest for the people of God. Why? For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from their works, just as God did from his The gospel, as much as there are a whole lot of, uh, there's a whole lot of realities to it, it's very multifaceted. One of the things the gospel calls you to do is this. 
Stop trying to get peace and make yourself right by God through your works. Stop trying to earn it. Stop trying to get it. Stop trying to manufacture it. Stop trying on your own to measure up to the standards of God. Stop, because you can't. In fact, the, the very fact that you think you can is part of the problem. Part of what God is doing is he's saving us from ourselves. Stop trying. I've provided a way where you can be saved completely by my grace through faith in my Son, Jesus Christ. Because Jesus Christ has done all of the work and works required to be righteous in my sight. And He will pay the penalty for your sin, and then He in grace will clothe you with His righteousness that He has earned, not just through His intrinsic nature, but through perfect obedience as a human being in this world, always submitting to the Father's will, always doing what pleases the Father. He's perfectly intrinsically righteous by His nature. He has a full human righteousness through His works. Enter into the righteousness that he provides. Do not try to be righteous on your own. You can't. You can't be. Allow God to give you as a free gift all that you need in his son, Jesus Christ. Stop trying to please God through your works. Rest in the work of his son, Jesus Christ. Anyone who enters God's rest rests from their works, just as God did from his. Let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will perish by following their example of disobedience. That is, as much as the rest is provided for you freely as a gift from God, make sure. That you're, you're, as Paul would say, make your calling and election sure. That is, check your heart. Is it hard? Have you fallen into the deceitfulness of sin? Are you obeying Christ? Are you listening to his voice? Are you open for correction? Do you love him? Do you take joy in him? Are you trying to grow and follow him? So, the trajectory of the text, by the time you get Psalm 95, you already have Genesis 2, 1 through 4. That is, you already have God's seventh-day creation rest. Fascinatingly, that's the only day of the seven that isn't bounded by that formula, there was evening, there was morning, the X day. There was evening, there was morning, the third day. There was evening, there was morning, there was the fifth day. That formula is not mentioned at the end of day seven. In other words, the Sabbath rest of God is open-ended. You never enter into day five, but you're supposed to enter into day seven. It's always going, it's continuing. The first six days are bounded and done. Day seven continues. That's part of the point of the text, structurally. So you already have God's open-ended creation rest. Then you have in the law also the weekly Sabbath being given. That is, resting on the seventh day. That's already given. Sinai, before they enter into Canaan. 
Then in Joshua, say they enter into Canaan. And so David is sitting in Canaan, and you have God's seventh day, you have the weekly Sabbath, and you have rest in Canaan. And David is still saying, today God is saying we can enter his rest. So somehow, seventh day, creation, because of our fall into sin, we're barred from it. Weekly Sabbath still isn't the fulfillment of rest. Being in the promised land, still not the fulfillment of rest, because the Holy Spirit is still saying through David, after you have all of those things established, today there still is a Sabbath rest. Today you can enter into his rest. And the author of Hebrews says, so there still remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. So, so weekly Sabbath couldn't possibly be with the Sabbath God's talking about. Weekly Sabbath is not the fulfillment of rest because they already had that in David's day. Promised land, not the fulfillment of rest. They already had that in David's day. So what was it? All of those things were prophetic types. All of those things were, were, were enacted, lived out prophecies pointing you forward to who, the one who would actually bring rest totally in fulfillment. Where do we find rest from sin? Only in Jesus. Only in the Son. The weekly Sabbath was pointing you toward the one who would fulfill it. It was pointing you forward to Jesus. Canaan was pointing you forward to Jesus. Because what Jesus does is he actually allows us to enter into the creation Sabbath rest of God. Now, very quickly, just turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 11. You're familiar with this text, but just flip to Matthew chapter 11. I want, I want you to see this visually. No, no point putting it up on the board. It's on a board, screen, whatever that is. Uh, I want you to see this in the, in the actual typesetting of the text. Look at chapter 11, verse 28. You know these verses. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And this is often used as an evangelistic section. This is fine. You, you can use it that way as long as you're careful. But the accent's on rest. What do Jesus' Jewish hearers hear when they hear the repetition of rest? They don't think tranquility in cottages. They think Sabbath. Now, this is what's so important about this text. Come to me, I will give you rest. Come to me, you will find rest for your souls. The very next pericope, again, you, you, you wash out the big number 12 because Matthew didn't put a big number 12 in his text. And what's the very next thing you have? At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. It's a whole Sabbath motif. And Jesus is going to teach the people something greater than the Sabbath is here. Something greater than the temple is here. I am the one who is the fulfillment of Sabbath. 
So when Jesus is saying, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, you will find rest for your souls. What he's doing is he's saying, come to me, I am Sabbath. You will find Sabbath for your soul here in me. And then, you know, if you're Matthew, as you structure the gospel, the idea is, well, well, who does Jesus think he is? Well, that's exactly what the Pharisees are going to ask. And so he gives this Sabbath narrative next, proving that Jesus is the fulfillment of the principle of Sabbath day. That's what the author of Hebrews is saying, too. The author of Hebrews is saying, Jesus Christ is your Sabbath. He is the Sabbath rest for the people of God. In the New Covenant, the, the idea is always that you, the New Testament, the New Covenant fulfillment is always greater and better. And so, weekly Sabbath, as good as it is, especially for, for the Old Covenant, that day of rest was really important. So, this is not, this is not to, to denigrate a, a day of rest at all. The only reason that it functions powerfully is because the day of rest was really good. But Jesus is better. I mean, the analogy doesn't work if the day of rest was lousy. I mean, it's not something that you want to avoid. It works because it was great. But Jesus is far, far better. And so in the Old Covenant, you think, you really think, you work hard, you, you labor hard six days a week. You think you don't want to break? That Sabbath rest was sweet. You you could just relax and and, and trust God and and think about Him and and praise Him and and know that, especially that agrarian context, the Lord's Lord's got the field today. It's okay. All of life doesn't depend on your labor. That was a beautiful thing. You got it one day a week. There there are probably a lot of people in Israel, you know, you think, Mondays are hard, okay? And we, we get that. There's probably a lot of people in Israel in the ancient world going, oh, Sundays are so hard. First day of the work week again. Why can't Sabbath be two days in a row? You know, it's what you would have wanted. Why can't we have more of a break? Well, the new covenant, you get your wish. Because in the new covenant, You rest from your works and you rest in Christ 24 hours a day, seven days a week. There is never a time as a new covenant believer that you are not experiencing Sabbath rest because Sabbath rest is not a day. It is not a state of mind. Sabbath rest is a relationship with Jesus Christ. Come to me, you who are weary and heavy laden. I will give you rest. Why? Because he is rest. Rest, Sabbath fulfillment is found only in Jesus. Four, the Word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. In other words, the Word of God penetrates so deeply it divides the indivisible. It it, it cuts through everything and anything. It lays everything bare. 
And it's in the word of God, this, this alive, active, living thing, this scalpel in the hands of the Holy Spirit. It's this word that you accept and enter into rest and salvation or you harden your heart and reject for destruction. But the word of God is going to triumph. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. God is the one that you are answerable to. Not me, not the elders or deacons, not your small group. In the end, you stand before one judge and one judge alone. You stand before Jesus Christ representing the power of the Father. And He knows it all. His Word has penetrated and sliced through even the motives that you couldn't get down to parse out yourself. He knew it all. And with that full omniscience of all that you are, have thought and done and felt and said, and the reasons why you did and didn't do everything you did and didn't do. You either stand before him on your own with whatever works you've brought to the table or you stand before him clothed in Jesus Christ. Perfect. Righteous, flawless, spotless, beautiful, totally accepted by the Father because you are in the Son, because you are in the Sabbath rest of God. That's what He offers you. And so, to use the word that the author used a lot, friends, today, are you trusting God? Today, don't talk about when you said the sinner's prayer. Don't talk about when you were baptized. Today, are you trusting God? And if you're not, the, author of the, the offer of the gospel is this. Today, as long as it's called today, you can. As long as today is today, you can enter into the rest that God offers. As long as today is today, you can put your faith in Jesus Christ and be saved. But with the bounds of life, today's run out eventually for every one of us. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as your fathers did in the wilderness. When I declared on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. And just so you know, as much as even right now you can experience the rest of Christ 24 hours a day, seven days a week, you do realize that even for you there still remains a Sabbath rest to enter into it's going to get a lot better. I don't know what 24-7 even means in eternity, but that's what we have. Rest with Christ forever, 
and ever and ever. The fulfillment of it still awaits the new heavens and new earth. In other words, we have a lot more than Canaan today. We haven't yet experienced what it will be like to see Christ, to be without sin, and to be in the new heaven and new earth. That's when we'll really finally appreciate what God has redeemed us from and what He has brought us to. And I promise you, you don't want to miss it. So don't harden your heart. Today, hear His voice. Put your trust in Christ and enter into His rest. I'm going to ask our musicians to come and lead us in our closing song. So, Father, give us your spirit uh, to be able to follow you as we ought by faith and obedience. Thank you, Lord, that you have, that you have created a universe and then provided a plan of salvation for your rebellious image bearers where you bless us and bless us and bless us and bring us into the consummation of rest and joy forevermore. Help us to appreciate this and to enter into it through Jesus Christ and faith in His name. For we ask it in the name of Christ and for His sake. Amen.